This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Dara here. Oh, I am happy today. Okay, here's that. I'm still flying on everybody that came out to see me on Thursday night. I didn't write down all the names, but I am just so happy. Thank you for everyone that came to the big book launch for Pilar. Her healthy deviant book is uh, getting a nice send off. It was a nice sold out crowd. Uh, You can go see her on the 16th at Majors and Quinn. You want your own signed copy. It's just a lifetime of wisdom is just pounded into that book as a war and peace of how to live. It's just so good. Um, And I really appreciate all y'all who came out. It was a was a WCCO house. I love y'all. Okay, so here's what I've got for you today. Who's in the mood for a surf and turf? I hope it's you. That's what the next hour is going to be. Yeah, I got the big guns. I got Randy Stanley in the house, founder of Six Smith and Baltimore, longtime GM of Manny's. If you have eaten an expense account steak in the last two decades in the Twin Cities, Randy Stanley's been somewhere in the mix. I do love a good steakhouse. And Baltimore, uh, I have been told not to just keep saying it's in this, it's the best thing in the suburbs because that's apparently not a thing you're supposed to say, but it is, in fact, in, in Roseville. And it's quite good. And later on in the hour, Josh Nelson of Almanac Fish and Fish Guys, little St. Paul in the house. Um, he knows everything that there is to know about the current state of sustainable seafood. I'm very interested in this. The... Uh, uh, long-time listeners of the show know that I have been trying to figure out fish farms good, fish farms bad for like a decade now. And so I'm going to bother Josh about that, see if we can get to the bottom of it. Um, so it's just a good show. Do you want to text? Do you want to call in? I've got the number, 651-989-9226. You got any surf and turf questions? We will we will pepper them. We will throw them at Randy Stanley. Randy, welcome to the show. So Randy, as I said, founder of Six Smith and Baltimore. Baltimore, brand new, making big waves. We do not say that it's the best steakhouse in the suburbs because we've been embargoed. We're told not to say that, but can't can't stop myself. Uh, longtime GM of Manny's, Randy, welcome. Thanks, Dara. It's good to be here. I think the last time we had you on the show, you were uh, talking about your Thanksgiving traditions and you always make a little space for the kind of orphans so they can come into the restaurants right um that's very true very nice of you all right so tell me tell me about let's just go straight into baldemar you a lot of people have gone to the suburbs to open important restaurants and a lot of people have failed but you uh, decided you're not afraid not afraid of the first tier suburbs in particular uh <laughs> there's a lot of uh things happening downtown which uh pushes people a little more to the first-tier suburbs, not just the restaurant business, but retailers as well. So Downtown is in chaos. Downtown Minneapolis, like the central skyscraper district, oh, we all know it's happening. I mean, <laughs> you, it's you were the, a little more aggressive than I was. <laughs> well, there's it, things only close. You know, we had this uh, lovely golden age where we had Solera, 
and some other stuff. And now it's just if you, unless you're on Nicollet Mall, Nicollet Mall seems to be like the you know refuge where people like to go. But everything else is kind of either it's just bar district now. It's a uh, it's a sad state of affairs, I think, downtown right now. And I, uh, they seem to lack direction. Uh, and vision, and uh, it's made it hard for uh, independent business people to venture into downtown and try to make a go of things. Yeah, the rents are sky high. I was talking to somebody who has a, you know, kind of a social justice mindset the other day, and I was talking about how many restaurants are in, aren't in downtown anymore. She's like, oh, gentrification. I was like, that's, that's <laughs> not it at all. This is the opposite. Like, Agreed. it's some kind of an yeah. opposite situation. I mean, because a lot of my what I when I talk to people, what I'm hearing is that a lot of uh, coastal money has flooded in. They buy the properties. They have an idea of the rents that should be charged. And those rents are way out of line for what anybody here can make back. And therefore, things just sit empty. It's prohibitive for small business people like myself and uh, most of the people that I know and work with. Yeah, there's a reason why the the core businesses that are making it are in small, non-skyscraper buildings. So I will say there are some great places. Dakota, everybody should support Dakota. It is a local jewel. The food is still fantastic. Um, You might spend some time at some point in your week. Check out the Dakota Cooks calendar and see the jazz greats that come through. Uh, Just it's a jewel. I don't talk about the Dakota enough, and that's totally off topic because we're talking about Baltimore. But you decided (laughs) first to your suburb. So you, the uh, the Six Smith was your first independent restaurant, right? That's correct. And it was a bit of a rocky launch. Like it was hard to figure out what the people really want and would really come for. Uh, Rocky is an understatement. (laughs) (laughs) I opened up. um, I try to find places that I think are emerging. um, And that was probably the beginning of the first tier suburb trend. I mean, people really are trying to f- want. I think people really inherently like to be in an urban environment, but downtown's just a little sketchy right now. So they're gravitating or migrating towards those first-tier suburbs. And um, I w- was an early pioneer. Um, I did some work studying that demographic in that area, and uh, there were unfortunately five people before me who didn't make it in that location inside so that's right on the if anybody doesn't know it's in Wyzetta, right on the lake i like the idea of you being a pioneer like nobody's ever been to <laughs> nobody ever come to Wyzetta to open a restaurant before but it i think what what it looked like from where i said is that you found out that the people of Wyzetta want everything they want free parking they want a boat menu they want cheap happy hour and then they want elite cooking they want it mm-hmm. all well, it's uh, the, the cool thing is uh, Six Smith really appeals to uh, a different demographic. We uh, did some demographic work and realized that uh, the, it's a five-mile, 10-minute drive time. And within that five miles, there's about uh, 150, 60,000, 30 to 50-year-olds with an average income, household income over 100,000. And that, to me, is the sweet spot because that's the young, aspirational adult who grew up watching the Food Channel, traveling the world, uh, looking for authenticity, unique concepts. Uh, you can't fool them. They've been there, done that. And uh, you, the old days of big portions and mediocre food uh, uh, flavor profiles were are coming to an end. So we had to come up with a concept that would appeal to that demographic and pull people into the market because Wyzetta is only like 4,700 people. So to make it uh, all year long, and it's a big, big, big space. Uh, so I All really... year long, that's the key. <laughs> exactly. you got to get people January through magic. March. <laughs> you are correct. 
You don't get that 25% of the year. You can't make it. it, it you can't. It, it, the magic was uh, becoming relevant uh, in the winter. And we figured out how to do it. It took a lot of work. There was a lot of so there sleepless was, well, nights. If you're, if you're comfortable talking about <laughs> it. Sure. Uh, what? Because I remember your menu started kind of more chefy, ambitious. And then yes. you kind of – it wasn't like you stopped that, but you dialed down parts of it and brought in other elements. That's what it looked like to me. You're spot on. Uh, the other thing was we had to figure out our plating. Uh, I mean, Six Myth was probably the most concepted non-concept I've ever worked on. <laughs> Uh, and it took a while to articulate it in a way that people understood it, um, you know, both in terms of food, atmosphere, and the service kind of came together right away. But it did take us a while to dial in on the food um, and get the recipes right and the plating right so that it was I'm not. I don't think I understand your distinction on the plating. What? How does the plating affect? Um, like the materials that we use. So this is five uh, and a half years ago, and we were trying to find things like Heath, uh, China, which is from Sausalito, hand-thrown stoneware, and you couldn't find any of this stuff and cast iron and wood platters and things like that. And th- there was a bunch of people, not just, I mean, like myself, that were trying to find these things, but you could go to a food show in Chicago, go online and look on calendars, and you couldn't find any of that stuff. And does that make a difference? Oh, it was hard. In the bottom line <laughs> yeah. of the restaurant? I mean, I, uh, I know it makes a big difference if you're buying a bunch of plates and they all break. Well, that's... yeah. And the sad thing, Dara, is when you break one of our plates, it's 40 bucks. <laughs> yeah. But you felt like so, the – I'm so surprised to hear you feel that the plating was part of the actual, you know, Oh, absolutely. Tableware. No question. Uh, big decisions, I think. And, and the same thing happens at Baltimore. But the difference uh, for is me – in, in in, does it impact people's perception of value? Is that- uh, oh, big time. It, well, it separates you from the pack because most uh, restaurateurs, especially um, larger format big companies, won't spend the money on the china and uh, plating that we do. Um, oh, so is that how you get across that you're different from an Applebee's? It's the actual the stuff on the yeah. on the yeah. table that I- – their, their investors and board of directors would freak out every day if uh, they had to live with the decisions that I make. <laughs> Good. They should. <laughs> yeah. Afflict the yeah. comfortable. All well, right. We, so we live a comfortable <laughs> life, but, uh, you know, it's uh, I have the liberty of balancing the you know my financial needs with the, what the customer is looking for and the employees. So Okay. So magic. <laughs> I, am sh- I am really shocked to hear that you felt like this, you know, five and a half years ago that that the actual plates, the tableware, the things that you see when you're sitting down there, that was part of what you needed to dial in better no question. than the. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And so when you opened Baltimore, which you just did, did you kind of you know use that experience? Absolutely. The good news is the different kinds of plateware, glassware, et cetera, you know, because of the influence of the um, microbreweries, uh, the cocktail. Uh, mo- movement um, and then uh, the chefiness of the w- expectations in every restaurant now, that whole opportunity to purchase china and glassware that are novel and cool and hip uh, has exploded. So it's a lot easier to find it. And then I couple that with when we were putting things together for Baltimore, we had a platform to work with at Six Smith. So it, we were able to like nail it right away instead of having. So is it? Is I feel like part of what you're you've succeeded at is that mix of price points. Is that accurate? Well, yes, it's a um, a mix of experiences, if you will. So uh, on any given day, you can come in, like you said, have happy hour, sit at the bar, spend you know eighteen twenty two bucks, and uh, with some of your friends. 
the next night you come in and sit in the uh, bar dining room and you have a burger and a sandwich and you're spending 25 28 and then the next night you uh, the the president of CCO comes in and says hey Dara good job we're giving you a big promotion you own the place let's party Shannon, down. are you listening <laughs> Uh, that's interesting. I, we should take a little break here, but I want to talk about this. I have a lot of theories about the Minnesota, uh, customer who doesn't like, except for Manny's, there's a one exception for Manny's, but doesn't like to go somewhere where they know they're going to have to spend a lot. Like they will spend a lot, but they, you get a better chance of getting that person if there's like an $8 option, a $12 option on the menu. They like to have that. Oh, he's giving me the you're right on. All right, we'll we'll talk about this, the psychology of the Minnesota diner when we come back. Dara here. We're back. I'm talking to Randy Stanley. He's the founder of Six Smith, Baldemar Restaurants in the Twin Cities Metro, and he was a longtime GM of Manny's, the steakhouse that breaks all the rules because Okay, this is what we're doing. I'm fully just analyzing the psychology of the Minnesota diner. So if this is you, Minnesota diner, pull up a, pull up a chair because I'm going to tell you who you are. Okay, so Minnesota diners, I truly believe this, are, are really smart at just basic back-of-the-envelope math. They have more money than people think they do, and they don't like to spend it or they don't like to be obligated to spend it against their will. This is different. Like, I think in other markets, people love flashing their cash. It's very socially prestigious. You're in Los Angeles. Knowing that you're going to the expensive place, you're in New York City, telling people you're going to the place where they know you're dropping a lot of money, that has social currency. Minnesota, not no, not like that. Minnesotans like to go to a restaurant that has a $9 entree and then buy the $40 entree. But if the place doesn't have the $9 entree, you're... They're not going. Like, that's my belief. And that is, I think, the secret to Bar La Grassa, the, the Isaac Becker restaurant, where it's got just a couple couple really cheap pastas. And people do get them. But then they maybe get, you know, $50 of other stuff. So now that's my theory. That's who I think you are, Minnesota. You don't like to – you will not go in a space where you think you're going to be fleeced. You just won't even enter the door. Randy Stanley, what do you, what do you see – You've been in the actual game. I'm just observing from the sidelines. Is that true? Spot on, Dara. Yeah. Uh, you, you are spot on. <laughs> we're, we're a cautious group. Um, and like you said, the, the money's there. Uh, but first we have to – someone has to prove themselves worthy, if you will. Uh, we're not into the blingy things. We do like attention, but it's uh, not the overt type. It's more of a, a subtle sophistication. And yet – there's the one restaurant that you were intimately involved with for a long time that breaks all that rules, and that's Manny's. For whatever reason, there's like everything, and then Manny's gets its own set of rules. The the bottom line at Manny's is they they are super geniuses at making Joe Sixpack feel like Bob the Millionaire. Yeah, and and for ninety six bucks a plate, 90, like it's well, not it, a, you it know, so cheap it, to go yeah. there. But it's it's I mean it's magic. It really uh, it is. It, it's magic. And uh, they do get away with uh, without having that nine dollar lead in entree, but it it took years, you know, for them to. Uh, oh, did it? See, that's oh, yeah. I. I, mean, I remember the first days of Manny's. A, a twenty thousand dollar week was a big deal. You know. Oh, is that true? Yes, twenty. Tw- the first couple of months, uh, we were doing like twenty three, twenty four thousand dollars a a week, and uh, you know, Phil Roberts, my mentor, was 
freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) That's before my time. That's good for me to hear. All right. I got a a comment on the text line. Free and plentiful parking is the biggest draw for any place, anywhere. Four exclamation points. I do. I have to agree with that. It's uh, uh, Minnesotans love uh, free parking. And I think that restaurateurs, this has been the death of Uptown. I am just certain of it. The day that they stopped validating Parking in Uptown was a day that everything started to fall apart. And I think it is because you very often go to a restaurant and you meet six people or you meet, you know, you meet three households. And so you're not parking your car once. That's three parking. At a point that it's 11 bucks to park, 33 bucks starts to be real money and people don't want to spend it. They don't want to obligate their friend into paying 11 bucks to park. Like, so that's what I think is going on. I think that uh, the day that they made Calhoun parking ramp validated again. Everything would have sprung back to life, but it's never going to happen because uh, they, the people that own it, don't believe in it. Uh, money. Uh, one thing that I've learned uh, at both restaurants, Baldemar and Six Myth, is uh, you can have valet, and it could be even complimentary. But if people can see a parking space two blocks away, they will park there and walk as long as they can see your front door. Um, and it probably has to do with, uh, you know, back as the city started to develop and then the suburbs and whatnot, the property wasn't as expensive. And so you could have these massive outdoor uh, surface parking lots. And we just got used to it. And now it's just part of our culture, parking far away, but being able to see where you're going and feeling comfortable with that. You take a suburban person and put them in a parking ramp and they're a lot of times confused if they're not used to driving downtown. Parking ramps are confusing. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> There's true. so many. Like we're such a land of experimental yep. 1970s and 80s parking ramps. You're like, really? Yeah. That many pillars? Did you need that many pillars to <laughs> make the, this thing stand up? And then the Skyway. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Navigating the Skyway. That is a bunch. Yeah. But it's, uh, you know, I, I, it's not like I can fault anybody. It's, it's, you can spend your, you know, put your nine bucks in your bank account or whatever. That's pro- That's a better use of your money. That's a good beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So who wouldn't do that? Um, so, all right. So that's it on the text line. Anybody else has got text observations, 651-989-9226. All right. So Randy Stanley, Baltimore, let's talk about it. You took the lessons of Six Smith and you brought them to Baltimore. And so let's go through a few of the things. What is, the, like, if I haven't been... Um, what are the things I need to get at Baltimore? What are the super delicious things? Let's get the inside scoop. Uh, well, at happy hour, we have like chicken and waffles, uh, uh, tuna poke. Um, those are some – you can get as adventuresome as you like and not as as adventuresome as you like. We have uh, all of our uh, center cut and steakhouse steaks are prime. So uh, – you, you can't go wrong with that. We're like the only ones in the Twin Cities, I believe, that serve 100% prime short-line cuts. Really? So yes. prime is sort of, I you know, I, I get marketed to probably more than anybody. So at one point. I bet. Okay, so prime is, there you know, different grades of meat from the USDA, and prime indicates a certain degree of marbling. It's the best. It's the top. And then people will be like, ah, no, prime's not worth it. But is it? Uh, it, it is. Uh, I mean, you could take five people. Put them at a table and bring out some choice, some prime. It, but it's also how it's aged and handled and cooked. Um, and most people would not be able to choose the prime. I mean, I've done these kinds of tastings and half get it and half don't. 
But it then if if you have your proprietary ways of cooking and seasoning, that's when things start separating. So it may be more interesting to take a steak from Baltimore and the, or uh, Pittsburgh Blue and Manny's Capital Grill, for example, and taste those side by side. That could be interesting. My thousand dollar interesting. <laughs> yeah, that could be. <laughs> I'm in on the challenge. <laughs> uh, and so so you – but you've decided you're all in on Prime. Yes. We're all in on Prime. It's the most expensive beef. It's less than 2% of uh, all beef produced. And uh, it, it gets expensive. I mean it, the, it's mercur- mercurial pricing uh, and it's vo- so volatile that most restaurateurs won't uh, go that direction. But again, being – Independent, I don't have to explain to a group of investors why food cost is fifty percent this month. <laughs> I don't like um, I don't like the deregulation of the slaughterhouse system. People know I'm wildly against that, and I um, and I think the uh, I would prefer to eat from the more regulated, more observed, more intentional, Absolutely. more careful part of the food chain mm-hmm. because I don't trust, honestly, the self regulation of the. Uh, of the of the lesser parts of it, um, and so where does so you decided to do kind of greatest hits, what people want to eat now, and then prime steaks and yes. and happy hour pricing, and that's the that's the Baltimore strategy. Well, the strategy is you could spend as little or as much as you like and get an experience. So at one table, you got somebody uh, eating a fillet and uh, a Caesar salad and asparagus. And then sitting them right next to them is somebody like you that has three or four small plates and appetizers and sharing an entree with two other people. And so you can get this multitude of experiences. And it, we find that the today's diner wants more adventure and experiences uh, while they're dining, not just be married to your 20-ounce New York for $70 and a piece of parsley. You, is that because people go out more? I feel like people used to go out less, and now they go out more. I see statistics no that say that people are going out, you know, half of their meals at this point. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another uh, motivation for keeping it uh, flexible pricing, so that you're you're not having to spend a hundred dollars every time you go out. It could be thirty dollars one time, twenty two dollars another time, and that's one of the things that Baldemar and Six Smith both do very very well is creating the a multitude of different price dining experiences. Interesting. Yeah. All right, Randy Stanley, this has been delightful. I could talk to you forever. We well, have, let's do uh, it. Unpa- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we will. I'll just come on by. We'll just sit at the – get a microphone and we'll sit at the bar at Baltimore. That would actually be super fun. You should do that. We should do that. Bring your kids. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to talk to them. They're just going to ask you for, uh, you know, $3 checks to go on field trips. Um, so- <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> Oh, no, payola. <laughs> All right. Um, Randy Stanley from Baltimore, thank you so much for coming in. I sure appreciate this. Great to have you be here, Dara. Thank you. All right. We're going to – oh, I got a question. What is the actual name of the restaurant? Baldemar, B-A-L, B like boy, B-A-L-D-E-R-M-A-R. So it's kind of like a ocean front, like old – Timey thing is that it? Like Ocean Air, Baldemar? No, nope, not even close. But what is it? Good guess. What is it? <laughs> um, so Six Smith is a uh, an artisan. Uh, they were actually blacksmiths in early tenth okay. uh, century England. And tenth uh, century England to YZ. Uh, good yeah, for them. Exactly. They keep well, the I, brand going. <laughs> I liked it because it was a dead word, and uh, I, okay. it, no one knows what they're in for, um, which is part of the concept. Same. So anyway, I was looking for some way to connect the two restaurants but not be the same. 
and Baldemar's early third century name of third nobility. Century. Third century. They didn't even have the Bible all it's, written it's down. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, go on. But anyway, the uh, it was a name of nobility, strength, uh, honesty, integrity, hard work, and things like that. And in that particular century, there was a, a Baldemar who was the patron saint of blacksmiths. Thank huh? you, Texter. <laughs> I would never have known about that. That is fascinating. All right. How do we oh, think of third... things like that? <laughs> you got a you got a capacious brain, my friend. All right, Baldemar with a B up in Roseville. That was super fun. Now we're a little bit late for the news, but we can do this. Randy Stanley, thank you. Sarah, thanks. Sarah here. All right. So here's who I am. I just write about. Anything that comes by, I've got, I write about fish, I write about restaurants, I write about the people that are the movers and shakers of our community at Minneapolis-St. Paul Magazine. Back in the day, I used to write for other publications, and that's where I first met Josh Nelson. Josh currently works at Almanac Fish, the best fish market in St. Paul, I'd say, and Fish Guys, which I've written about. Um, he is the human being that helps the co-ops and Kowalski's kind of get their fish scene together, and they the fish scene at those places is excellent. Um, and so Josh is here. We're going to talk about all things fish. I told you, surf and turf. Mm-hmm. We had the turf, and now we have the surf. Welcome, Josh. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Dara. All right. So I can't actually remember the first time we spoke. I feel like it was a really long time ago, but maybe it was when you were leading up the Zoo's Fish Smart program, which was our first uh, local version of, you know, what to eat sustainably to keep the health of the oceans going. And so you've been on the front lines of fish and sustainability for a long time. What, what do you, where do you see things now? Just give me a general state of the oceans and slash state of the plate. That's okay. That's a great question. Um, you know, when I started out, in anything seafood, I was I was a buyer over at Whole Foods, the old Grand Avenue market. And, you know, part of their core values had things about sustainability. So I kind of got interested in that just as a, you know, almost a requirement of the job. Um, as a lot of us line cooks do, we get old, we have kids, we get physically broken. So we venture into different areas of the... That is a very tragic run up to it. Well, so. you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. And um, The knees are the weak part of the cooking uh, industry. The knees in the back. Um, so I eventually went back to school, got a, a, a super useful degree in history, ended up at the Minnesota Zoo working with uh, the education department and the Walton Family Foundation to create a program called Fish Smart, which worked with chefs in Minnesota to kind of raise the awareness of sustainability. And you did. And, and we did. And I had the opportunity to work with Mike Higgins on a couple projects, who is the owner of the Fish Guys. And uh, he eventually poached me. And I went over ah, to uh, what we poached. called, what the, in the NGO <laughs> world we called, I went to the dark side. But uh, I went to the dark side to try to create some change. And Mike's been a super awesome boss in business owner in the sense that that's what he wants to do too. I mean, it's, it's in the fish guy's best interest to be sustain, sustainable to responsibly source fish. So Yes, that, is, I, that has been obvious. If you do not have any fish left in the ocean, we got problems all around. So... You know, back then it was just getting to the point where sustainability, especially in a seafood sense, we started seeing a little greenwashing. Barton Seaver was writing about how he hated the word and all kinds of things going on. And as I've come up through the fish guys and worked 
pretty much exclusively with retailers who want to go out and tell everyone how sustainable they are, the challenge has been, well, that's great. You can say what you want, but how are we going to measure this? So we started working with different organizations. Right now we're with the Fish Guys works very closely with the James Beard Foundation Smart Catch program. Yeah, I wrote about this last winter. We are we have such a huge participation rate in this James Beard or largest Smart in the Catch, country. Largest in the country. And people think, "Oh, you're landlocked. You are not leaders of sustainable seafood." But no, the Twin Cities is a real leader in sustainable seafood largely because of right. work of people like you. I wrote about the Fish Guys commitment to sustainable seafood and a lot of people don't realize that you go to restaurants and you know they're not usually on the phone with a fisherman in Australia they're working through someone right. like you and if you won't give them dirty stolen fish then they can't get dirty stolen fish right right so you know we we like to brag how we have relationships with all our vendors i mean we know guys in alaska that fish for the sockeye in the coho forest we know the farms that we get our farm fish from, they've been vetted out. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty confident in that. Since, I mean, the, the, the chefs and the, and the meat managers at the retailers, they have to trust us that we're doing the right thing. All right. And so the long way around, what do you see? What is the state of the plate? Is it better than it was 20 years ago? Is it, is it worse? Is it just different? I think, you know, in, in terms of aquaculture, we're really getting to the point where it's, it's, it's going to work. Okay. You know, for a long I was time. gonna ask you about that. You wanna just go straight to aquaculture because I have noticed that a couple of countries, Denmark, have put a moratorium on fish farms right now because there's just been problems, a lot of disease. There's that and it's kind of political too. I mean, you got, you know, just like in the Pacific Northwest where they don't want salmon farms at all because, you know, I think for good reason. The, they some don't good want them reason. to escape, they don't want the disease into their wild Fisheries, they don't want genetic some of that's pollution. A little bit of overblown misinformation that they're going to compete for wild resources. Just well, so. they are. They are. I know. See, I will yeah, disagree. Yeah. No, I, I, mean, I think I they think are they going do to, to a because certain the fish. Extent, but I, I don't think it's is until you worrisome. have fish that can eat grain. You know, then you don't. Ha- then you're going to be competing for right. wild resources. Right. Um. So I I think where aquaculture is now, it's like, you know, you got true shrimp, the shrimp that we're supporting and being raised in Minnesota. Yeah, you know, I've been – recirculating This is a system I've been meaning to get into forever. So tell me what is going on. So this this true shrimp is really a commercial thing now? It's happening? So it's – I I don't understand all of it. I know like when – what's that? Schwann's got bought out by the – mega conglomerate, whoever it was that bought them, a lot of those people took a lot of the money they made off the sale and, and invested in this true shrimp company. So there's a All lot right, so of money. So this true shrimp crump company is raising shrimp, you know, a thousand miles from the ocean here in farm country. Yep. And so closed RAS, they call it, closed recirculating aquaculture, is a system where the energy input outputs are equal. The, the the water waste is all being cleaned before it goes. It, it we're not dumping dirty water and and and. Well, once you get the once you have fish waste and you're a thousand miles from the ocean, it's then valuable. It's fertilizer. Right, right. So all right. So this closed system aquaculture, you feel like is is it's at the tipping point. Yeah, it's I mean really that's what when work. Urban Organics was around. That's what they were doing with the with the char, and then they even had the aquaponics. Uh, component where they're using that nutrient-rich 
fish water to fish waste to grow plants. Yeah, I wrote um, about that a few times. And um, but is that just gone away now, or is it? Yeah, yeah, they had some technical problems that. It's very hurt. hard to create an ecosystem inside. I mean, it's just, it was what will have to happen if we're going to colonize Mars, right. but uh, it's not easy. Well, you, you know, you look at the Poland books, you know, it's it's secure regional food networks are what we need to survive and, and to make things sustainable. So, you know, fish has to come from around here. Okay, so you feel like closed system ag- ag- aquaculture, that's fish growing indoors, closed system aquaculture, which won't pollute the oceans, that's finally commercially viable getting there getting there yeah yeah yeah. getting there a long time all right Right. so it's closer than it ever was i mean yeah it's i was helping my i was helping my kid do a science project recently and we were looking at the people that discovered oxygen and that's the kind of thing you just take it for granted you know it's oxygen it's in the air that's how we breathe but it took a lot of people, probably 75 years, all working independently to get to that point. So sometimes human progress is uh, slow and happens over many people requiring a lot of ingenuity, you know. And then in the rearview mirror, it looks like it just happened. It right. is natural. I mean, just like with anything, once it becomes a commodity and, and investors and people get involved, things get muddied. So. Okay. So uh, aquaculture is good. Um, I feel like since I've been doing this, and this could just be personal, awareness of the fragility of the oceans has right has risen. And, and that's why I went directly into aquaculture because the fragility of the oceans, and you even think about, you know, climate change. And, and I mean, they're catching fish in southeastern Alaska that they normally saw in Oregon and Washington. I mean, you know, fish are migrating and moving and it's going to create changes and not all of them necessarily, you know, recoverable changes. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is state of the plate, state of sustainable, uh, fisheries is things are changing, but not possibly for the good, but it's not a easily determined. And what I mean by possibly for the good is if, if these fish are just migrating, then you have to catch them somewhere else instead of where you're, you know, historically caught them. That's not the end of the world. But if, if the climate change and the water temperature chain is, is, is creating population declines and, and environmental degradation, then we got to, you know, then it's. I can see you were a history major because we got a lot of we got a <laughs> lot of possible factors influencing this. All right, we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back with Josh Nelson of Almanac Fish and the Fish Guys. We're going to talk some more about the general state of sustainable fisheries, state of the ocean. You got any questions? Text us 651-989-9226. I have discovered that sometimes you have better ideas than I do. 651-989-9226. Dara in the house. I got all my personality. I'm bringing it to you 100%. Trying to make Jonathan laugh. He's ignoring me. It's not going to happen. Too bad for me. All right. So I got a question, really good question on the text line. What is your opinion, Josh Nelson of Almanac Fish, on the opinion, uh, on the quality of inspection of fish imported from, just say, Southeast Asia? That's the, so I've been talking about the fact that I do not like this fish farm fish from, say, Southeast Asia. I think it's full of heavy metals and weird uh, veterinarian chemicals, and I won't eat it if I can avoid it. So I've completely tilted the playing field. What do you think about that stuff? Man, I think I think it's I think it's a really iffy situation. I think your your inst- your gut is right. Um, 
when and I was still with uh, with the zoo, uh, Mike from uh, the Fish Guys and I were at a con- sustainability conference in Hong Kong. Um, and Mike had the opportunity to go on field trips in China to see some of the more successful fish farms. And the best of their best, Mike was like horrified by. Yeah, Just, mangrove swamps are also endangered, and they are yeah, what prevent those, those mangroves don't grow back real quick. They so. don't grow back, and they are what prevents uh, the land from being washed away Erosion, during monsoons. And yep. um, we should. Uh, so yeah, I don't think you're going to find anyone in this studio uh, who. I mean, and the thing is, a lot of people don't know. You really should um, look for. I hate to uh, just say Kowalski's all the time, but Kowalski's did a great job of making all of their shrimp the good shrimp. And it's really, you know, you're not going to find the dirt cheap uh, shrimp, but really the dirt cheap shrimp you shouldn't eat it. People is not good for you. Um, But Kowalski's has. What do you? I forget the lingo. What do you call all the good shrimp now? Um, they run a line called Ultra. Ultra. <laughs> um, and then they also do a wild Gulf USA white shrimp. Oh yeah, Gulf USA yeah, USA. That's, that's really good stuff because our waters are the cleanest waters on earth, and we should support our fishermen. Okay, so. Well, and real quick, what I wanted yeah. to just touch, finish off on in the in the Southeast Asia question to the to the to the texture was that. Shrimp is one of the things from Southeast Asia that I'm a little bit more comfortable with because it generally is farmed. And on the back of all of those retail bags is is a little uh, symbol in the bottom right corner that if you think in terms of better homes and garden kind of seal of approval, it'll say ASC or, or BAP, Aquaculture Stewardship Council or Best Aquaculture Practices. And it's a third-party scheme that allows a farm to come in and be audited and get rated on its sustainability. You know, in the ASC component there's up to five stars they can get a star for the farm they can get a star for the feed they can get a star for the brood program and there's even a fifth star for for human welfare especially after all the, the Thai slave stuff and stuff so you the know, Thai slave stuff just live that out there all right there's a new york times story a few years ago if you want to just uh but you know, human welfare has become part of the definition yes, of sustainability, as it should be. and that's awesome. As it absolutely should be. Okay, so your final word on the Southeast Asian shrimp is if, look for these sustainability yep. stamps on it as a guarantee of quality. All right. And and we were talking – yeah. we don't have a ton of time, but we were talking off air, and you were saying, you know, the, me asking you to give the big picture – of sustainable seafood, a little bit unfair because it's just a thousand marketplaces, right? And right. so there are some that are uh, doing great work and some that are doing bad work. Um, and you wanted to kind of let's put a cap on our aquaculture, ocean aquaculture. You were saying there are places that do it right. Schooner Bay is an example. That's a brand. Right. It's a part of. It's a bay in. Canada somewhere. Scuda Bay is the farthest uh, end of Vancouver Island where basically you're looking in, over to Japan. And so it's not, you know, it's just like cram full of, of a bazillion fish. It's not. No, um, they operate, they operate like 12 different, they have 20 sites. They operate 12. So they do what's akin to rotational grazing and keep certain farms fallow. So ecosystems can, can, you know, regenerate and such, but it, it's being farmed in these super deep fjord like Things that are the island out there, and it's fast-moving tidal waters. It's 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 nutrient-rich. It's clean. so Schooner Bay is a is an is an ocean aquaculture that you really like. Yep. 
and I should not just it's a never look at too many thing. pictures you know, never online any about antibiotics, the- <laughs> never any growth hormones, things like that. And those are the kind of farms we're looking to do business with. Okay, and so then we have to tr- we trust you, and I appreciate you doing all this work because it, anybody's listening can say like, oh, that's really complicated. Yeah. Um, you wanted to also talk about Fish Guys has been moving to try to make a, a more. What I like about what Fish Guys does is I don't have to think about it. I don't have to spend all my time on the Monterey Bay Seafood Watch website, which is fantastic, but has very little to do with what we actually get here in the Twin Cities. Right. And they're just sitting there going like, well, they say rockfish is good and you say rockfish is bad. And 30 people have different, you know, a thousand communities call rockfish different things because right. it just refers to a fish that lives in the rocks and nobody speaking to each other. But you guys do that work. So I can just be like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to relax. And buy something at the co-ops or Kowalski's or, uh, you know, or Almanac Almanac. Fish, where you actually work. And, uh, you know, and I cannot have these concerns pinging around my head, making me anxious. Um, And you're trying to do the same thing for beef now. We are. Fish Guys has market house meats. um, And they we have built a uh, full processing USDA inspected processing plant on Northfield. Um, we're doing custom steaks and dry age. It, it's all non-commodity From good meat. farmers, good local yeah, farmers. Upper Iowa prime beef, Berkwood pork, Bell and Evans chicken, Ferndale markets, turkeys, you know, all the good stuff. The more I am in this uh, food game, the more I think it is unfair to put all of these responsibilities for the for the food supply chain on the end consumer. And so you guys are – Doing that for restaurants, you're making it. So yeah. they can, well, somebody's got to. All right, you wanted me to try this amazing croissant. So yeah, which down I did at, try. So down at Almanac, down is the fish market on the very north end of the St. Paul Farmers Market, the historic farmers market, oldest farmers market in the state. Um, and you guys have a little fish market and a butcher counter up in the building. Mm-hmm. That's to the due north of the farmer's market. And now uh, Vikings and Goddesses, this bakery, has moved into the old Salty Tart space as well as uh, Bakehouse. Well, let me clarify that. So Salty Tart closed its doors. Um, Octo had been the owner of Salty Tart for quite a while. And now it's True North Coffee. Vikings and Goddesses are doing the pastries and desserts for True North and for Octo. And Lower Town Bakehouse is doing all the breads and rolls. And you very kindly brought a soccer-themed croissant. Yeah, it's, I'm going to get this onto my Instagram eventually here. Beautiful. And it's red and, white, a red and croissant color striped. It's very fun. And it's because of a Manchester? She said Liverpool versus Spurs. All right. So I'm Rachel must be a big soccer fan. Soccer croissant, my friends. Next week, Dan Oski from Tattersall. I have a big, big story on Akavit. In the Minnesota Akavit boom and the current issue. We'll find out the story behind all that next week here on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.